to be with you and uh, to see the Lord at work in your midst and your obvious love for the Lord and the cause of the gospel. And uh, part of my job uh, sometimes, um, I serve as a referee. Um, And I've done that several times the last few months. Uh, when uh, churches are at odds with their pastors and vice versa uh, in congregational meetings. Uh, But it's good to be in a church where I don't have to do that, Uh, where you have a pastor who obviously loves you, and you obviously love him. And it's uh, great to see uh, the Lord working in that way. I want to direct our attention this morning to a passage uh, in the gospel according to Mark. Um, Several years ago, back in 2005, uh, our church uh, at Ivy Creek in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where I attend, was in between pastors and uh, Jim Bland and I, the coordinator for mission to North America, shared the uh, preaching responsibilities, and we went through the Gospel of Mark. And it was a great privilege to do that. Mark was one of the earliest Gospels written. And some of you have been through discipleship programs, uh, Navigators 2-7 or other things. Uh, This was the antecedent to all discipleship programs. This was written... Uh, for a discipleship program for the church at Rome and was one of the earliest uh, such things used in the church. And it focuses uh, so clearly on the person, uh, who the Lord Jesus is and what he did and what it means to follow him and have a personal relationship with the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And here in this first chapter, we have uh, Mark's record, actually Peter's record, of the healing of, the, of a leper. Uh, John Mark uh, was discipled to a large degree by Peter, and the Gospel of Mark is uh, Peter's recollections of the ministry of Jesus as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Word of God from the Gospel according to Mark, uh, chapter uh, 1, verses uh, 40 through 45. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, 
and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work in our hearts and lives, that we might see the great hope that our Lord Jesus Christ only can give. We pray in his dear name. Amen. Uh, when I began my ministry as a pastor, I was a pastor for 16 years, uh, one of the things I did was I would study the Scripture. I would, I would mark benedictions because at that point in my ministry, I wanted to have a store of benedictions to use at the end of the service. Of course, the two most popular and most well-known are the ironic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you and so forth, and the apostolic benediction uh, that we find in 2 Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, uh, the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, but there are a number of benedictions given in the Scripture. I was preaching through the book of Romans, and I was coming near the end of the book of Romans, and there's a benediction in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now, and now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace through believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a young mother attending the church. She had come back into the church. She had um, become addicted to drugs. Uh, she had had a difficult marriage. She was a drug addict, and her husband was an alcoholic. They had a child, a little girl. Because of their addictive behavior, uh, legal proceedings were instituted, and their little girl was taken away from them. And the little girl was... Uh, in the custody of the Palmer Home for Children, which is a Presbyterian ministry to uh, children in Mississippi. And this young lady started coming back to church after her daughter had been taken away. And as I was preaching through that text, the, the context is the, the Gentile nations uh, in the Old Testament era, lived in darkness without the prophets, without the, the Word of God. But with the coming of Christ, the desire of nations had come. And the hope of the transformation brought about through the good news of Christ was to be shed to all who were in hopeless situations. And I kept emphasizing the great hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and pointed out that the term translated hope in the New Testament is not a, a wish, but it is a confident expectation. And Paul even uses hope almost as a synonym for faith. In Romans 8, he says, we're saved by hope. <laughs> But it's not just wishing you go to heaven. It is the confident expectation that because you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died to save sinners, God will indeed fulfill that promise. 
And she came in to the service very obviously depressed. Just her physical demeanor was such, sloop-shouldered, looking at the floor. But in the course of that sermon, God touched her heart, and she began to believe again, and to believe that Christ could deliver her from that addiction. And over a period of time, he did. And then she prayed that God would restore her marriage and the addictive behavior of her alcoholic husband. And over time, God did. And then together, they began to pray that they would get their little girl back. And over a period of time, God did it. And they became a Christian family. Well, after the little girl came home, I quit my search for benedictions. And ever since then, that's the only benediction I use. Because it emphasizes the transforming power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as this text does, that we can have hope for the most hopeless of situations through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are two things I want to note about this text. First of all, we all find ourselves in hopeless situations as we live in a fallen world. Now, it's apparent more to some people who are desperate, but it is nevertheless true for everyone apart from the Lord Jesus Christ that we are in hopeless situation because of our lives in a fallen world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at what had been happening before all of this, uh, as Mark tells us, Jesus had preached in the synagogue at Capernaum, Peter's hometown. And in the process, he had cast out a demon of a man attending the synagogue. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was dying of a fever. Jesus went to Peter's house and healed her of that fever. And then after that healing, he went in the city of Capernaum, he went about exorcising people, that is, casting out demons, those who are demonically oppressed, and healed all sorts of diseases. And then he, he ministered in several synagogues in that area. And then if you read the Gospel of Matthew and put it together with the timeline here, uh, this leper comes shortly after Jesus had preached the, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And there was a crowd following. And this leper makes his way through the crowd to the Lord Jesus. Now, if you want to think of hopeless people in that situation, it would be a leper. Uh, the term leprosy is used in the Old Testament to describe different things, various skin diseases like psoriasis, ringworm, uh, some minor other non-fatal diseases. Uh, and it's used of mold that you'd find on leather or cloth. 
but uh, in its most serious sense, it's leprosy as we know it, or, or as, as it has been called since it was the, the source of it was discovered in 1871, uh, Hansen's disease, named after the doctor uh, Gerhard Hansen, who discovered uh, the bacterium that causes the, the disease. We first uh, encounter leprosy about the time that Israel was captive in Egypt, oh, 3,500 years ago. And it was there that some of the, Israeli, the Israelis contracted leprosy. And then when the Romans took over that area in the Mediterranean basin about 100 years before Christ, then uh, the Romans picked up the disease. And through the Roman army, it was spread throughout the Roman Empire. And then in the Middle Ages, when uh, the Crusaders came down from Northern Europe into uh, the Mediterranean basin again, uh, they contracted the disease and took it back uh, to North, Northern Europe. We think of the bubonic plague as one of the worst epidemics ever to hit Europe, and it was awful. But at one time in the Middle Ages, one out of every four people in Europe had leprosy. It was a terrible uh, epidemic. Um, and the cure wasn't really discovered until the 1940s. And uh, it came through roadkill. Have you ever, have you ever uh, driven through Louisiana or Texas and seen armadillos lying beside the road? Armadillos are the only animals other than human beings that can get leprosy. And so they didn't use mice or rabbits, they used armadillos. And there was a leprosorium and hospital in Louisiana, Carville, Louisiana, that uh, they infected with the bacterium. And through a series of drug uh, experiments, they found a combination of drugs that would uh, cure, uh, re uh, arrest the development of leprosy. That was only in the 1940s. But it's still something that is widespread in some areas like Brazil, India, Nigeria, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Myanmar. And it had awful effects on you. Now Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, was a physician. And he gives more uh, detail in his, uh, his Gospel. He talks about this leper and he says, this man was full of leprosy, which meant he was in the advanced stages of leprosy. Now, in early stages, uh, you would have bleached skin, uh, red blotches, dark blotches. Uh, and then in its contagious stage, you would have running sores. It, you were, your, your hands and feet would become numb your hands and feet might become clawed, stiff, or your, hand, your fingers and toes might fall off. The cartilage of your nose would collapse. Uh, if you were not in an infectious stage, you didn't have running sores, 
if you went to the synagogue, they, they wouldn't let you be with everybody else. There was a special area. They had screen, a screen, and you had to stand behind that screen. And if you, if you were infectious, then you, you were separated from your family. You, you could only live with other lepers in a leper colony. And the Jews at that day, they, they thought that if you got sick, that was because of sin. Remember in the Gospels, well, the man who was born blind? And the question the Pharisees asked to Jesus was, well, now who sinned? Why is this man blind? Was it because his parents sinned that he's blind? Uh, or they even believed that babies could sin in the womb. They said, was it his parents who sinned or did he sin? They blamed everything. If you got sick, they thought it was sin. And so if you were brought up in that situation and you had leprosy, the most loathsome of diseases, then you would constantly be questioning, what have I done that God would bring this upon me. And so you would be in utter despair. Paul liked to speak in terms of before and after when he describes what we are like before Christ and after Christ. One of those sections is Ephesians chapter 2. And he's especially speaking to Gentiles. The Gentiles, anybody's not a Jew. And he says of the Gentile Christians, uh, before they come, came to Christ, he says in Ephesians 2.12, remember that at that time, that is before you came to faith in Christ, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Without God and in the world. A leper realizes how hopeless he is because of his condition. Remember the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was an obvious sinner and he knew it. The older brother was an unacknowledged sinner. He was a sinner too, he just didn't know it. <laughs> he didn't want to admit it. His sin was self-righteousness and pride, whereas the prodigal son's sin was rebellion and moral dissipation. But you see, they were both sinners. It's just that one knew it earlier than the other. And there are a number of instances in the life of Christ that we could point to. We are all sinners. We're all hopeless without the Lord Jesus Christ. For some, it's very obvious, like the dear lady I mentioned, whose life was such an, a wreck and a mess. But you can be hopelessly without Christ and be very successful in a business. You can be hopelessly without Christ and be a young person very popular at school. You can be hopeless and without Christ even though you have financial success. 
You can be hopeless and without Christ, even though you have a broad circle of friends. See, we are all hopeless without the Lord Jesus. But the second thing we want to note is Christ transforms us out of hopelessness through the power of his grace. This leper came to Jesus through the crowd, and I can imagine that when people realized he was a leper, they made way so he could get through. And the leper said, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus had been preaching and working, exercising demons, working miracles of healing already in that area. He had heard about Jesus. And one of the prophecies of the Messiah was that he would authenticate his identity through the working of miracles. The blind would see. The deaf would hear. The lame would walk. Even the dead would be raised. And the poor would have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus had been working miracles. This man thinks this is the Messiah. He comes to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Now this, this fellow had greater faith than the rabbis. The rabbis of that day taught that it's easier to raise someone from the dead than to heal a leper. After all, it only happened twice that they knew of. Miriam, Moses' sister, had been stricken with leprosy uh, as a providential judgment in her rebellion against her brother, but God delivered her. And then there was the story of uh, Naaman, the commander of the army of Syria, who was a leper in the days of Elisha, and you remember how Elisha had given the divine instruction to go dip in the Jordan seven times, and the Lord delivered him. Those are the only accounts of deliverance from, from leprosy in all of the Hebrew Scriptures. So the rabbis had no expectations for deliverance of lepers, even though there was a procedure in the law of Moses for how lepers were to be declared clean by the priests. But before we're too hard on the rabbis, we have to admit that our expectations of what the Lord can do is more often conditioned by what limited things we've seen the Lord do in other people's lives rather than expecting greater things from the Lord ourselves. And Christ calls upon us to trust Him for great things. And so this man did. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus was moved with compassion. You know, it's hard to be a, a, a pastor of a church for a number of years to keep your preaching fresh. Uh, and when I was a pastor, I, I had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, so that's three times a, a week. So there are a lot of sermons to do. 
I, I came across an idea for a series of sermons, uh, 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 an article I read by Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, a New Testament professor from Princeton Seminary back at the turn of the century, the previous century, not the 20th century, but the 19th to the 20th. And it was entitled, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. So it was a series of sermons of the emotions Jesus displayed. Do you know what the most frequent emotion Jesus displayed? Compassion. God's concern for those in misery and suffering, even if they have brought the suffering upon themselves. Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus is still moved with compassion. No matter what your situation, Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus responded, and because he realized that he li we live in, in a fallen world. Some texts say Jesus was responded with indignation. You say, well, why is that? Well, you may have had this experience. When someone dies, a faithful Christian, when there's an accident, when there is an injustice, I remember struggling with this as a child. My father died when I was three months old. I never remembered my father. One of my best friends was Keith Harper, redheaded, freckle-faced kid, lived down the street. Keith, Keith's father was in Kilby Prison. He had, uh, he, for robbery. And I remember sometimes thinking, why is it my father died? He was a Christian. He was a deacon in his church. And here's Keith's daddy. He was a drunk. He beat his wife and abused his children. He's in prison and in perfect health. That made me angry. Why is it that way? Well, it's because we live in a fallen world. And in a sense, God is angry with the effects of sin, part of which was this leprosy that had come into the, all disease into the human race. And so Jesus responded. But Jesus said, I'm willing. <laughs> and he touched him. That is an evidence of, God, of his compassion. You know, there's something about human touch that's necessary. You know, children born uh, and who have to stay in hospital for, in intensive care for a period of time. It is still necessary that they have human touch. My mother worked in the newborn nursery. She was a nurse. And part of their job was to cuddle babies because it's important 
that human touch communicate that. And Jesus reached out and placed his hands upon him, and, and he was immediately cleansed. And then Jesus told him, now don't tell anybody except the priest. Now, why would Jesus say such a thing? I mean, aren't you supposed to tell people what Jesus did for you? <laughs> well, two reasons. One was he wanted to be a witness to the priest. Because none of those priests had ever had a case of restoration from leprosy. <laughs> Think of it. Uh, only Miriam, whose brother Aaron was a priest, that was the only one who had even had possibility of showing herself to the priest. And, and then that had been 1,500 years before. And Naaman, who was a Syrian, he didn't go to a priest. So if the leper came to a priest and said, look, I've been healed of leprosy. I want you to check me out and be sure. That they'd say, wait a minute. What is this? Is that Leviticus, Numbers? Where is that? They'd have to look it up. But it would be a testimony to the priest of the power of God and through the Christ. The other reason why Jesus didn't want him to tell was because the crowds would gather. There'd be so many curiosity seekers, it would hinder his ministry. But, <clears throat> as we would say in Alabama, the leper had a case of the cane hepids. Bad case of the cane hepids. He just could not help himself. And so he went out and told everybody. And so you had this crowd of curiosity seekers so that Jesus could no longer stay in the city of Capernaum. He had to go out in the wilderness because of the crowds of curiosity seekers. Yet the fact is, whenever Christ really transforms your life, whenever Christ does something significant, you have to say, you have to tell it. You have to share it. That is the contagion of the gospel. One of my faculty friends from Reformed Seminary, Steve Childers, he teaches missiology and church planning at Reformed Seminary in Orlando. He sent me a, an email back in 2005 when I preached this sermon at Ivy Creek. And I won't read all of it. But he simply said in, two th in October 2003, his daughter, Kara, teenager, had been diagnosed with a brain tumor, pituitary brain tumor. Was not likely to be fatal, but it might cause her to go blind. It would affect her general health, and it might cause her to become infertile, so she would never be able to have children. And the only cure was surgery, but the surgery was uh, delayed until the tumor had grown to a certain size. And even, but the surgery was dangerous because of optic nerves uh, going to the brain at that point that uh, she could become blind through the surgery. So Steve Childers began to ask people to pray. Anybody whose email address he had, he asked them to pray. And he asked them to pray, not simply that God would guide the doctors through the surgery, but that God would deliver his daughter. 
that there wouldn't be any surgery. In May the 16th, 2005, she had an MRI. And the report was no enlarged pituitary or superstellar cistern masses are identified. The examining physician said, I do not appreciate any focal pituitary microandinomas or macroandinomas in this current study. The rest of the MRI of the brain is within normal limits. Presbyterians don't usually expect people to be healed. But God still does it anyway. <laughs> now, I don't know what your situation is. There's something desperate in everyone's life. We prayed for a brother who's going into harm's way. There may be other things you face. Or maybe you've never come to the place of that initial commitment to Christ. To say, dear God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and forgive me for Jesus' sake. But I want to tell you, we're all hopeless. But Christ is our hope. And Christ can deliver us from the most hopeless of situations. Both now and forever. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you will remind us again of the great power of our Lord Jesus not simply over the physical world, this material universe in which we presently live, but in the life to come. We pray if there's anyone who's never made an initial commitment to Christ that he or she might pray, dear God, be merciful to me. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. And for all of us as we think of situations that are beyond our power to change, that seem hopeless, we pray, Father, that the light of the gospel will shine forth and we trust Christ even for those. In his dear name, amen.